Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and our favorite media. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Lizard Watch, and I've got my marvelous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm a bag of things, many of them moist. That's pretty much the description of the human condition. Yeah, yeah. Both metaphysically and just straight up accurate. Literally, you are a bag of wet things, but also emotionally kind of a bag of wet things it's just you know it's all there i feel seen well we're not here to talk about that instead we are here to talk about well questions that you our wonderful listeners have sent in uh we have several of them today and i thank you for them if you have questions for this or any of our podcasts be sure to send those into podcast at blizzardwatch.com you can go ahead and just tell us what show it's for in the subject line uh and if you have any special pronunciation for your name be sure to add it in there uh, if you don't want to email us, you can hit us up on Discord. We have a Q and Podcast Questions channel. You can just go ahead and throw those questions in there. Same rules apply. Tell us what show it's for and if you have any special pronunciations for your name. Uh, and then if you are a Patreon supporter, as a way of saying thank you for helping support us monetarily, uh, we have the Patreon Q and Podcast Questions channel set up in which you may deposit your questions. We tend to look there first as that way of saying thank you. But without further ado... Let's get into the questions. This one comes from Harsbo, which I keep always wanting to pronounce Hasbro and want to beg forgiveness. Uh, I watched the Dragonflight launch cinematic on the Talison and Evatel stream, and I remember Talison being convinced that something, example an old god, must be hidden beneath Tearhold and its beam that goes into the ground. It seems to me that after we cleared the dungeon in Tearhold, there wasn't much more to the beam. I would be very curious if you would explore the lore of Tearhold, uh, which is part one of the question. There's also a Diablo question, which we'll get into uh, after this one, also from Harsbro. We don't really know a whole lot about Tearhold besides the fact that it is essentially the seat of uh, the power that is fueling the creation 
uh, of the dragons, as well as sort of maintaining that particular area. We know that regions tend to be almost reliant on the Titan facilities around them. And when something happens to that Titan facility, um, it destabilizes or bad things happen or something occurs. Uh, Tierhold was shut down for a while. You could see that the island powered down. There were things like, I don't know, like towns being consumed by molten lava and people that were left behind the to defend the area that didn't really have anything to, like, keep going on. So beam activates. Everybody comes back. Things are good. But, yeah, we don't know what the beam is. I, f- I think this is the second Titan facility we've seen that had, like, a beam icon. Is that correct? Am I, am I misremembering that? I mean, um, you could argue that all, I think Alduar has one. That's what I was thinking because I was I think because I thought we saw this with Alduar where there's like a, at least a projection into the into the the scare the sky. Wow, words are hard. I to mean, get also if, when you go to uh, Aldum, the halls of origination. I don't know if they're actually shooting a beam up into the sky, but when you go into the halls, there's clearly like a whole bunch of machinery in there that's uh, activating in a similar way. Uh, First off, we should point out that we now we do know now that uh, Tearhold is what we are calling Aldorus. Um, remember back in Battle for Azeroth, there were several Titan facilities listed that we had never been to or heard of. Aldorus is Tearhold. That's Tearhold is just what we're is what the dragons and mortals were calling it um, because nobody told them different. It's not like Tear went around saying, "By the way, this is Aldorus," um, but the Tearhold is Aldorus. Tearhold. Um, seems to be based around the concept of preservation and uh, orderly maintenance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there there have been problems with that. Like, for instance, when Tyr was trying to create a guardian for Azeroth out of the native dragons, and he created Galakrond. He didn't create Galakrond. Galakrond was alive before that. But he turned Galakrond into a hideous monster monstrosity because unbeknownst to him, Yogg-Saron had interacted with the liquid that the titans are infusing with their power this water that they're infusing directly with their with titanic energies and with yogg-saron mixed in a little old god and it created galakrond it it caused random crazy mutations that nobody was really expecting or down for Uh, as a result of that that's why we have aspects today instead of having one great aspect of pretty much everything uh tier broke it up into five and he did that partially because the, of the five who came together to stop Galakrond. Also, possibly because he was like, you know, if one of the if one of them decides to go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, I don't want them all the eggs to be in that one's basket. Uh, after he saw what Galakrond had been capable of, it's it's entirely possible he was like, yeah, um, definitely not a good idea to put it all in, in one guy. Didn't didn't work out. I, it's unknown to me how much. Tyr knew at any point about Yog Saron's having corrupted Tearhold. Well, we know that but, but according on, to the, well, I, there's books about that, right? Yeah, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, exactly. We do know that Tyr was talking to Loken about it. Like Odin, and, uh, Odin was very much upset with Tearhold and with the idea behind Tearhold and with what Tyr was doing there. And Loken had come to him and said, Hey, can you like, give me a heads up on this? And the two of them, there's an exchange where Tyr, talks to Loken about what he is doing at Tearhold. And therefore we know that he probably suspected Loken from that point. Cause once things got corrupted by Yogg-Saron, the only person 
that Terry talked to about it was Loken because Loken came and asked. And then all of a sudden something went wrong. Why would something suddenly go wrong at just after I tell somebody else? But before, when I was keeping it all to myself, everything was fine. So that's, that's in one of the books, the idea that, that Yog saron was responsible and Tyr is aware of it, which does beg the question, does, did, is that why he started suspecting again? We don't know the answer to that question. We know that at the time, Odin was still acknowledged prime designate, but there were certain members of the Titan forged, the, the, the watchers who, for lack of a better word, could kind of ignore that. Um, one of them was High Father Ra, High Keeper Ra, also known as Ra-Den. He was clearly capable of just, he was e- equally as powerful, he was easily as powerful as Odin. He's the one who made the elemental planes. He just didn't seem particularly interested in running the show. He, he, he strikes me more as a person who was all about, you, you go ahead and you get to be in charge. That's great. I'm going to fix all this stuff that's broken. And Tyr who was the most physically, I, I don't want to say powerful, but maybe the most courageous. Yeah. He the is, right yeah. Like there, there's a reason that he's associated with paladins. Yeah. Um, like this is a guy who lost his hand fighting Galakrond and didn't really care. Like he's like, well, did we, did we do it? Then great. That that's all that really matters. And as a result, Odin, Odin envied them both and, and didn't trust either one of them um, because they weren't, you know, they weren't all on team Odin. And also because, you know, Odin's kind of saw it as, you know, sure, we all fought in the war, but I'm the one who got his face permanently melted. Uh, you two you know, just walked out of that thing like nothing happened. And he's right. They did. Tyr didn't come out of, you know, Tyr came through the war without his face melted off. Possibly another point of contention. between. But the thing about Tyrhold and about other Titan facilities, but I think Tyrhold is actually special in this case, is that these facilities were created in part to stabilize Azeroth. Mm-hmm. Because after um, Yog Sharon got popped, and I can't think of a better word for it, like literally like pulled out and just squirted it all over the place, terrible, horrible thing. When that happened, there was this gaping wound in Azeroth and and the you know divine essence, for lack of a better word, the the anima of Azeroth was just getting sprayed out into the world. And that was going to lead to her death. That's that's something we have to keep in mind. That was going to kill mm-hmm. the, the world soul. So they created the Well of Eternity as part of that system of facilities, which was essentially like I'm trying I'm trying to think of the proper way to put it. But imagine if instead of like you know the, the stuff we do nowadays for like gunshot wounds, imagine if you got a gunshot wound and they came in and set up like a little device around it that put nanites in it to to repair the the wound so and all these little systems throughout the body to maintain it yeah they, they, they do this already with like um there are some wounds that can't be sealed and so they have yeah. to be kept open for treatment and mm-hmm. so there are things that they currently do that mimic exactly what the titans were doing yeah and it's it's based around the concept of okay the best power to heal azeroth is the power azeroth is currently mm-hmm. losing so we will capture that power and we will channel it back into the wound, into the planet and keep it from, you know, over from like basically keep it working to sustain Azeroth and all these Titan facilities do put out into the world, that energy, they're returning it to the world. But as a result, as Joe points out, when, when Tearhold is powered down, none of that power is getting to the dragon isles. 
that's why so many things went into hibernation or slept or couldn't, you know, really get up to mischief. All the various elemental beings that are sort of like a p- opposition to the dragons kind of had to go take a nappy because as we know, when elemental beings can't get enough anima, they fight over it. Uh, we also don't, we've never really seen a world where they just couldn't get any. Mm-hmm. And I think the dragon isles were pretty close to the only, the closest thing to that. It was like a giant anima drought and you wouldn't go there if you didn't have to, because there's nothing there that you, to sustain you. It'd be like going on a space travel. You're like, you're in your space suit wandering through a blasted landscape. And it's great if you can do that for like a couple hours, but you're not going to want to spend like 12 years there without, you know, the appropriate facilities built and they didn't have anything like, that. so I think that's part of it. And I think that's one of the reasons that the dragon isles were just kind of quiescent for that long. That's why, you know, for instance, I don't want to call them the drug bar, but I can never remember their name. The, uh, the giant fire dra- uh, uh, giants dudes. Come on, they're the main villain. They, they hunt dragons. Come on, Joe. Oh, um, why, why can't I think of their name now? Oh, God. Anyway, those guys. We know who I'm talking about. <laughs> and as soon as like we're on some of the subject... I'll Where it's going to pop up, yeah. Yeah. Um, but those, like, those guys weren't active during that period of time because those guys are heavily based in elemental energy. And, and they're actually related to... Well, they, they were. They were active. Time. They were active, but not like they are now. Like that's even said that they've you know suddenly they've come forth and they're burrowing into Neltharian's lair. Blah blah. Yeah. My point is like those guys are related to the other dragons that we know of. We know this because at least one of those of those giants uh, came to the Dragon Isles and fought with them and actually even became like a leader of them. They made him like a hero of of their people. Uh, and you know he's Vrykul, like a straight up you know still stony Vrykul came to the dragon isles and became a leader amongst them. So they're, they're related to other Titan creations. And that makes me wonder what, what, how do I put this? What if the, the Titans didn't just make like Vrykul and, and call it a day. Like Vrykul are modeled after just like, you know, the earthen are modeled after the, the big Titan forged guys like Odin, Loken, uh, you know, Rod and those guys, they're, they're modeled after, but does that mean that once this stuff started happening, like the quote unquote curse of flesh didn't just start turning things into fleshlings? Like, is there a curse of, of element that takes them even further away from Titans? Like we know that the, uh, the Mogu reverse engineered the curse, so to speak, and could turn themselves back to stone. But what if they're using, they're not reverse engineering the curse. What if they're using the power that is pushing some of the earthen and, and Vrykul and other elemental Titan creations further away from the Titan. And maybe that's the heresy we, we keep hearing about that Odin is so concerned with. Does, does that follow? Do you, do you, I mean, that? that's entirely possible. It's entirely possible. And, there's something tied up with that. And that's what interests me about Tearhold and other, like, especially Tearhold, but other ones too, but Tearhold really feels like it creates a bubble. Like you go to, uh, when you're when you're going around doing various quests in in the area around the Dragon Isles, there's one quest in particular where you have to go and and help the uh, the the Titan Forged, the the keeper who protects the waters, and that keeper is like very insistent that you have to stop them from tampering with those waters. And I'm starting to, like the water comes straight out of Tearhold. 
that is so, the product of tear hole. Yeah. So there's a couple of theories or at least a couple of things that I think are also kind of important here too. Like we're talking about the Titan facilities and everything that Matt said is, is correct. There's also another element to the Titan facilities and that not only were they set up to sort of rechannel Azeroth's energies back into it, many of them were also used as experimentation points on top of that. So you can look at places like Sholazar Basin or Angoro Crater. Yeah, there's a great phrase for this. It's called the Petri Dishes of the Gods. Right. And it's actually used in-game. And there are Titan facilities there. There are Titan facilities that overlook those areas that are either taking part of that power and channeling down. Northrend is another interesting case as well because we don't know... Was Northrend always a frigid wasteland? Because there Jardin. are what's that? Dejardin. Yes. Oh, as predicted. Um, sorry, I'm but wait, sorry. was Northrend always a frozen wasteland, or was it more uh, temperate at some point in time? Uh, is it a frozen wasteland because there's a gigantic Titan engine underneath it that is now broken and dormant? The engine of the makers. Yeah, it's not putting forth the energy to heal the world that it is supposed to be doing now. Tearhold most assuredly is absolutely a place that involves experimentation. And we, I mean, that's where Galacron comes from. That's where Galacron comes from. That's where uh, the idea of the making the dragons, these ordered creatures in order to protect Azeroth itself are based. There's a reason why life evolves in a very specific manner on the Isles, just like it does in Sholazar Basin and Ungaro Crater and all these other places where Titan mechanisms are still working now i think that that's really what the beam is is more or less probably just the harnessing of that energy for that experimentation in that area that they're in i don't think well, that necessarily too like i think you you just gave me an idea here this the the facility underneath aldoris Tearhold, is called the halls of infusion mm-hmm. now we've got the halls of origination the halls of infusion what what are we seeing with infusion? What are we infusing? Well, it's all about water. It's it's all about water, and it's all about that Titan orderliness, the 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 power that the Titans are putting into the water to help create order. Yep. Um, which means that other facilities may have been intended to have a similar hall. And I think I I, I can't. Oh, we can almost can't we, off the top of my head. Halls of lightning, gold. halls of stone. We almost can assuredly think of the same thing there. Because yeah, the Halls of Stone, also, for sure, there's a there's a giant making engine there. There's the literally, yeah. we see this in the uh, the Mogu uh, dungeon, where you literally go through, and at the end of that dungeon... Uh, there's, yeah, another big, yeah, the thing that makes the, the Mogu. And is what there. is and what is all around it? It's it's water in anima. It's water in, in the, well, animus, is what they called it at the time. But it's all things that you would find at other Titan facilities in order to create life or at least had previously been used to create life. Correct. I mean, yeah. And we know that the system was all supposed to work together. Yeah. It was all supposed to be one, one cohesive system. So going back to it real quick, I don't know if there's more you wanted to say on that, but I, I wanted to come back to the, the, the light beam. I don't think that the light beam itself means that there's an old God trapped underneath tear hold. I think that it is a signifier that the engine is online and once again harnessing the power of uh, Azeroth's lifeblood, which we've seen the Azerite, of uh, this this sort of like concurrent energy to power the facility and thus the infusion process and maintain the Isles. Now, going back to something Matt said earlier, we do know that Galakron was a creation 
of this sort of process that had been corrupted. What we actually don't know is how that corruption took place. Now, we can make some guesses, like he pointed out with uh, Loken and, and everything that happened there, but we don't know what was done to corrupt the waters. Now, I have a theory, because it is linked to yogg Saran in some capacity, and we have seen this before. What element of an old god have we seen in prevalent liquid format in Northrend? Liquid I mean, Serenite. Yeah. Yeah, liquid serenite from Yog Saran, which is literally the blood of Yog Saran, and every and we know this from our time in Northrend that wielding serenite, that being immersed in it or around it, it it harries the whispers of Yog Saran with it. Like it is how he can affect things in the world. When he was trapped in his prison, was to send his blood sort of out there. We saw what happens of uh, trees that drink of it and become corrupted and have and fall, and and we see what happens when at the middle of that tree is still a pool of serenite with uh, a bunch of furbolgs living around it. And what happens with them? They go absolutely bonkers because they can hear the whispering of an old god. So Loken pops down to a facility or sends one of his agents to pop down the facility. The little vial of liquid serenite tosses it in the pool, corrupts the process, creates Galakrond, who exhibits all of the same capabilities and all of the same uh, hallmarks that we heard that the old gods did during the time of the Black Empire, because they did, right? You talk about new creations being born of the flesh, uh, bits of it being spun up into, like, undead horrors. Uh, That's what the old gods did with their Black Empire, and that's kind of what Galakrond was doing. He was consuming and killing other dragons and then essentially using his body or that mass that he had consumed almost like the Warcraft version of a Tyranid and turned it into an undead minion. And then we've seen in the current dungeons where the blood or essence left over behind uh, from Galakrond is enough to reanimate the dead. So maybe that's more and that essence, by the way, is very, very similarly colored and very liquidy to Serenite. Just saying. It would also connect up interestingly because Yogg-Saron keeps calling himself the old god of death. Yep. And what is what is Galakrond and all this corruption based around? Yeah, undeath. Making Un- the dead get up and do stuff. Yeah. So I, I think- was actually, while Joe was talking about that, I was going to look. Uh, the, the light beam in Ulduar is actually not outside of Ulduar. It's inside when you are going around the the temple, going to the various keepers and freeing them from Yogg's influence. It's literally shooting straight up just past the big bridge guy. You know, when you kill big bridge dude and you walk over him, that's where the beam of light is in Ulduar. Um, I can't recall if there's one in Ulduman. I haven't been able to find it. Uh, but, but I do think that it's interesting because Ulduman we now know has that whole basement level we never went to before. Um, and Mimiron... There's also the fact when you take the train out to Mimiron's place, keep in mind that Ulduar is enormous. And the, the spot of it you see when you fly up it's there. A to it, it's a fraction. It's a fraction. There's a lot more. There's probably a lot more that's technically on the world. It's not, you know, it's in a dungeon because that's how you get there. But in terms of its actual physical location, it's out in the world. Uh, that's why you have to take a big train to get all the way to Mimiron the first time. Like you, you can't just teleport over there until you've been there and he teleports you back. Uh, it, it's, I think, believe that when you're doing that, when you're heading to, to, to where Mimiron hangs out 
and it's got a specific name, the Spark of Invention, I think. Yeah, that is correct. I believe the Spark of Invention is also firing a giant light beam up into the sky. They all are, but you can't see it. That, you can't see it from outside, though. That's the interesting and know, thing. And you also know that when we beat Algalon, Algalon straight up tells you to send the reply code from a place of power closer to the skies. He tells you to go. Basically, he, he's what he's saying is go. You know, go ahead and go to Dalaran and use that that big thing. So Ronan gives his speech. But regardless. That's another beam of light being shot up into the sky. These things could just be how Titan Forge send up, you know, like this is a reply. This is, you know, this is being monitored. And, you know, the Titans and their servants could at any time, you know, pick on that well, beam of light and know. We don't, you know, we don't know, but we know it's, it's a possibility. Well, I think you're actually onto something there, too, because think about what we know about from this expansion, right? Think about what we know about Tearhold. When it was deactivated, the dragons couldn't find the dragon isles. They could not. There, there was nothing leading them home. There was no guiding light. The minute that beacon got lit, every single one of them got the homing signal. All of them had it. Like it could very well just be a broadcast antenna. It could be a status check. It could be exactly what you're saying there. And I think that I think that is probably the most likely answer, right? Well, I mean, because we know this is a system built to maintain and monitor Azeroth, right? And we know that it's an interlink system because we just went through this with Battle for Azeroth when we when Alduar got cut off from the network. Mm-hmm. So it's entirely possible that that beam coming up is it it's like a it's like if you have a tracking device in, in a like a in a in a wild animal, like you you put a collar on an animal and then you're tracking it around. The signal anybody who has the proper devices can pick up sig- that signal up and and know okay something is moving here, something is going from here to here. Or it's like when you go to the hospital and they put you on all these diagnostic machines. Uh, those machines they keep going even if you're like fine now you're just sleeping. They tell that you know. Go, you, you, the doctors can go check the nurses at the medical station, get out, get readouts. And it could be as simple as that. It could be as simple as here's the readout from this part of the network. And especially now that then in, in order to keep the, they wanted to make the network somewhat self-sustaining, it has to be capable of operating independently. Like each piece of it has to be able to operate. And thus each piece has to send signals back. Yep. Uh, it, could, it could be that, um, and I think there's an element of it too, because like think about this too: facilities lost or facilities that are no longer in contact with each other. Like, what are we doing at one point? We're bringing facilities back online. We're going and trying to make sure that everything's going uh, the mm-hmm. way that it should. And you brought up uh, why can't I think it beneath the halls of origination when we're doing that dungeon? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you doing? You're essentially reactivating the consoles. You're you're turning it back on. So like you're telling the signal to go back and do its thing. Like, I think there, I think there is truth to that. I think that that is very. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70 percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Very, very likely. I mean, and then again, going back to the old god thing, I don't think there is an old god beneath uh, beneath your hold at all. Uh, I think that we may at one point in time when we get deeper into Alduras, because we'll probably at some point uh either learn something more especially as tear fully awakens uh or even make our way back down there we'll find out a little bit more about how the corruption actually happened uh and then we'll probably know a little bit more about that but if- yeah, depending on what we find out in terms of coming patches and expansions it's possible we'll be going back and forth to these places for a while to come almost assuredly like this this does not seem like a one and done right because now we have a new capital city where the dragons live and if they're going to be our allies in our quest to protect azeroth going forward we're probably going to go back there there's also a wealth of information that we haven't tapped yet there's the archives that the uh, the azure flight has that we haven't even touched yet uh there's the timeways that are now accessible after we're done with everything that we you know are being repaired that may also give us access to information that we didn't have before especially now with uh uh, Dor- Dormammu, <laughs> I'm always going to call him Dormammu, um, but with having the Bronze Flight now maybe be reinvigorated in their quest of not only their primary function, but of fighting against the Infinite Dragon Flight, like, we're going to come back here, I, I fully believe it, or there's going to be more tied up here with it, almost invariably. Uh, you did have a second question, though, Harsbo, and I want to get to it because it is a Diablo question, and I know Matt really likes Diablo questions. Um, I'm reading the book Storm of Light, and in it we find some very detailed description of angels and what it means to Tyrael to have become a flesh-and-blood mortal, which is a very unsettling experience for him. I was surprised to read that when an angel dies, its wings crystallize to glass. I think the style of Angel Wing in Diablo Universe is basically the coolest thing they've ever come up with, especially seeing how delicately Anarius is seen to use it in the cinematic. There's so much personality there. What's your thoughts on Angel Anatomy? So Matt, what do you think of those angel bodies? Um, writhing centipedes. Just a mass of them. Just a big ball of centipedes. No, I mean, we don't... We've seen enough of with the angels to know that they they can kind of control how much substance there is to them. As an example, uh, you can have Nephilim, <clears throat> which means angels and demons can get it on. Uh, we also know that at least some angels and some Nephilim had relationships. We wouldn't have the uh, sightless eye if not for an angel and a Nephilim that were in love. So there is some amount of control over how much is there. But in terms of what I think the angel's anatomy is, I think it is essentially just light. I think they are like the reason that you see when you, when we fight Malthiel, when Malthiel dies, Malthiel explodes. Now, part of that's probably the stolen power that that's empowering him. The fact that he's got the essences of the prime evil, you know, the seven evils in him. But part of it is just the fact that when a, when an angel dies, they explode. Similar to what happened to Anarius. When Anarius dies at Lilith's hands, he explodes. 
Like he screams and then boom. To be fair, that happens with the uh, Prime Evils as well, uh, to a certain like, yeah. mostly. I don't. The Prime Evils take physical form or twist a a living being into a physical. Uh, both the forms we've seen Diablo in and the form we saw uh, Mephisto in, and for that matter, Ball. All of those forms were like mortal bodies. Well, that we had can been taken by them. Uh, what's a, what's gonna call it? Uh, Dolan or Doran, uh, his son, right? What happened with his possession? Yeah, exactly. Like that's how you get Asmodeus got a body that we we experienced. That's the exact way it happened. Um, in terms of like, like with with with, I'm going to use uh, Ball as my example here first. The body that we see Ball in in the end of uh, Diablo Two, um, the the Lord of Destruction expansion. That body, the body we see him in the entire time until he's until he's finally destroyed, is Tal Rasha. It's Tal Rasha's body. He twists it. He changes it to be more suitable to him. But it, that face he's wearing is Tal Rasha's face. And he does that on purpose because there is still a part of Tal Rasha in him right up till you destroy him. And that part of Tal Rasha can do nothing but watch as his face ruins the world. And that's Ball's extra special little spike after Tal Rasha kept him trapped in that tomb for like you know hundreds of years he he wanted not just to destroy talrasha he wanted it to hurt um diablo didn't have time for that kind of spite every time we see diablo take a body diablo's taking a body because he needs to take a body each time diablo does this diablo is not operating on a spite principle uh, diablo is okay i'll possess the king dang it i can't quite possess him he's just he's just morally strong enough that i can't get in there without breaking him in half Okay, new plan. Uh, you know, Lazarus, put me in the kid. Too, he's too sensitive. He won't be able to fight me, and I'll have a body. And it won't be ideal, but oh, gosh, now, now both Lazarus and my body are dead. If only I can trick this dummy into jamming the, the soul stone into his forehead. I can. He's not very smart. Excellent. New body. This one works pretty well. Gonna gonna get somebody pregnant and then i'm gonna go forth and do evil oh that body's dead well luckily i had that girl child so i'm going to be able to possess her and turn her into me now yeah and, and, that's the, and, always been, and you know it's it's never it's never like with ball it's always just i need a body now yeah and i mean diablo is a really good example too of like anytime he possesses a mortal form he doesn't like you you mentioned the spite thing he molds it to essentially almost the same thing. The exception yeah. being when he possessed Leah and it was definitely a more uh, traditionally feminine silhouetted uh, Diablo. Yeah. But otherwise it still had all the hallmarks of what we've seen Diablo be basically from our very first introduction to him in, in Diablo one. Um, but I think and that Mephisto, Mephisto does the same thing. Mephisto takes the body of the new Quihagen. Uh, after they kill the one that that won't do what he wants, he takes the next Q-Hagen as his host. And again, you see Mephisto twists that body into looking like Mephisto. So it's this is related to angels insofar as angels don't steal people's bodies. But I think that they have a method of making one. Yeah, and I think that is maybe... Okay, maybe that's part of the primary function of like the Crystal Arch and why it's so... Uh, intrinsically important to their well their like essence of being 
we talk about the crystal arts being where all the essences of an angel goes to be reborn and then they're reborn right they're reborn in the high heavens maybe that's why when they die their wings turn to glass is because well it's not glass it's crystal it's yeah it's they come from the crystal arch yeah because what is what does a crystal do but focus light and so you have this crystal focusing this light or this energy of this essence into a being. And when that being shatters, it's almost like that connection to the arch uh, is shattered. And then it has to go back and, and be recycled or reformed. And I think there's something to it as far as the. And that would actually also explain why we're told that when they do go back to the arch, what comes forth is the same life essence, but it's not the same mm-hmm. being doesn't have the same thoughts because if you think about it, if they're each born from a little fragment of the uh, crystal arch and that crystal goes with them into the world and is essentially their wings, that means a, the wings are their bodies. When you come right down to it, the wings are where they're coming from. And B that means the wings are the host of their mind. Yeah. And when the wings go dead, the mind that they are creating can't be created anymore. It's like if you have a computer, you can unplug it and replug it. You can take the, the hard drive out and put it back. But if you take a person's brain out, even if you could somehow put another brain in there, the brain had all the stuff with it. Yeah. You know, if, if these wings are the, the being, then all the, the memories and experiences that the, they have had are no longer being generated by it. And I think there's it's something to that. I think there's something to that, too, because when you look at the whole diablo cosmology let's look at the eye of anu or you know the world stone what was it giant crystal yeah, was, yeah. A, a very large one a and very, also part matter. of the same body that the crystal arch came from mm-hmm. uh and what's weird about that too is that we're we're, we're always told it is a f- piece of the primordial anu which means it may have predated the separation of T- of tathamet and uh and Anu, I keep wanting mm-hmm. to say Tiamat and, ba- and Baf- Bahamut so bad, and I'm really fighting it. Um, that means that, you know, it may have been, like, for lack of a better word, the substance that made up the Diamond Warrior Anu. That's Remember, that was his name, the Diamond Warrior Anu. We don't know what Tathamet was made of other than this huge, powerful, dark dragon thing. Well, we, we kind of have an idea, if you think about it, from the concept of... If the High Heavens was made from the body, essentially, of the fallen Diamond Warrior, and the Burning Hells were created by the descended body of uh, Tathamet, then you can kind of look at it, and they're almost the same. Just one is bright and is worried about reflecting or, or harnessing light. If you look at the high heavens, go back to Diablo three and, and run through there. You'll you'll see like that motif, right? It's a lot about what do you what do you find everywhere? You find crystals and pylons and and light essences. Their fountains are basically focusing the light of the high heavens, uh, which is probably the light shining from or through the crystal arch. But then you look at the burning hells, which we went through extensively multiple times at this point, multiple different sections of it. It all looks like it is this dark almost. H.R. Geiger-esque uh, hardened carapace, but it's absorbing light. There's always that red glow, sure, from the fires and the, the and everything else from the burning corpse, but look at everything that's there. It, it looks very similar if you were to dirty up the high heavens, at least in my opinion. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> but I think, 
I think there is something to it. I think there's something to the connection between crystals and why that's how they die and how they are born. And maybe that's why they sort of forbid the angels from continuing to like interfere when in the mortal realm because then they do that as well. Like they've sealed off the high heavens. They've kind of yeah, retreated. We don't, we don't know why they've done that. We don't know where they are at the moment. I mean, we, we know where they are, we but don't, we know, we don't know what's happening, but we know that Diablo wanted to corrupt the, the crystal arch. Oh yeah. And that's like one of the things you even see, uh, when you are in heaven and you were trying to get to the arch to stop Diablo at one point, um, Imperius and his lackeys show up and they're about to attack you. Cause he's like, he's so mad that you're even daring to be there. And whatever Diablo does causes all of them to like collapse mm-hmm. and they fall down and they're just motionless around you, but they're not like nothing is turned to glass. Nothing, you know, they don't, they don't break or smash up. They just stop. And that means that the, there's a possibility of the concept of the arch as we're talking about light a lot, but a lot of this stuff almost works better as, as a sound analogy, because it's like, if there's a chime, like if you, if you take a tuning fork and you like, tap it near something that, that can make a tune, a tone, you can tell what the tone is. You can, you can listen to it and determine, okay, that's what that is. Um, it's often used, you know, to, to tune the strings of a guitar. Uh, they mostly electronic nowadays I mean, people don't just bang tuning forks on things, but you know, when, when people would do this in the medieval period, like they'd have enormous bell works or, a, you know, gigantic piped organs and you'd need to tune the thing. You need to know what you're trying to tune it to. If the arch is the, is the master tone setter, it's the, it's the most powerful vibration. All of the angels could be seen as little forks and they vibrate with what it puts out. Mm-hmm. And as long as they're capable of vibrating, they are there. But when they die, it's because someone broke that. It's like, if you make the crystal not resonate anymore, it's useless. So it turns, you know, it turns to glass. I'm air quoting. You can't see it. Just trust. Um, it doesn't really turn to anything. It's just, it doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. It's, it'd be the same thing as if you, you took a wind chime and you smashed some of the things on it. There's it's, it's just inert. Now. I think that's a pretty decent way to look at the, the subject of how the angels function, how they, how they are. They can certainly interact with things that are not them uh, to the point where they, they, an angel and a demon could get together and create an apple. Uh, I'm not trying to jump through any sort of like, like let's speculate on the anatomy hoops here. I'm just saying that means they had the ability to reach to each other. Yep. And, and both of them share something that was created into a life form. And it also goes back to some of the other earlier conversations we were talking about before, like, especially about like soul stones as well and why angels and, and angels could probably get trapped in a soul stone just as easily as a demon can, because it's all about that resonant frequency. It's well, all- if you, when, 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 what's his name? I want to say Zalman King, but that is not him. Zalton Cool. Uh, thank you, man. Zalman King. I haven't thought about that guy in decades. Uh, Red Shoe Diaries. Don't look it up. Anyway, Zalton Cool talks about how, you know, the, the soul stones that the, the Haradrim got were crippled. Yeah. Like, I, that, there's no reason this thing couldn't work on angels. And the reason there's no reason it couldn't work on angels is because to a, to a human, ultimately, in the Diablo universe, and what the difference between an angel and a demon seems to be perspective, 
not like there's no hard and fast. They look extremely different. They act extremely different. You wouldn't know there was any relation between them, but the fact that they can have children together, the fact that Lilith banked on that, that was her whole plan. So going into it, she knew she could do this. How did she know she could? Do they all just know they can do this? Is it just inherent? Like there's, there's something about the angel demon relationship that transcends our understanding of it. I mean, but it also it, makes sense because they're all essentially born from the a shared lineage of one entity. Yeah, but so is everything else, right? Exactly. And that's kind of the interesting thing about the entirety of crazy, crazy, crazy thing we find ourselves in. Yeah, it is. It is what it is. But I, at the same time, I really it's fascinating to see, like you know, how much of the how much there is. There, we, we've talked before about it. We could go on and on, and we probably should shut up. But, I mean, we, there's, like, angels who have actually become straight-up demons. Uh, yeah. At least one, Iswal. We know, well, there's a, there's, yeah, we know that one. There, I think there's been a couple. But, like, we've seen that. We've seen the transformation. Uh, there's probably nothing that says a demon couldn't be processed through the crystal arch and maybe be born as an angel. Uh, that would be wild. I'd love to see that go the other way. We haven't seen that yet. There you go, Blizzard. There's an expansion idea for you. Um yeah, but I think that the anatomy is anatomy is irrelevant. It's all about the energy of origin is really what it boils down to. But we're going to move on to our next one here, which is a question from our friend Tetsemi, uh, which is how would you make WoW more alt friendly without sacrificing the journey each character goes through? One thing I appreciate about Baldur's Gate 3 is that even the characters you leave back in camp have discussions or thoughts on where you're at in the adventure, and also keep up with the character levels of the main party so they can be swapped in fairly easily. And you, if you're like me, there's enough gear in camp just to keep them viable as well. We've talked about this concept before of as WoW gets older, it sort of carries with it more story baggage, not just the expansions themselves, because there is always the overarching story of the expansions, but the idea of the player character's journey through each of those storylines and what they actually mean. And for folks that do care about the story, and let's be honest, if you're listening to this podcast, you're one of them, it can be a very difficult thing to reconcile the idea of leveling an alt when you've invested so much time and effort into your character's story at this point so far. We've come up with a couple different things over the years, and you know, some of our some of at least my favorites were, you know entomb or enshrine the story somehow right like whether it's a lore walker that tells the story of your previous character and keeps you up to date with it um or you know lets you have sort of that experience as something you can go back to and see so that you don't feel like you're losing all of it is maybe something they could always explore we've always talked about scenarios and replaying through it when we were in shadowlands we i know matt and i talked about the plays that were being thrown in Ardenweld and how that sort of informed their universe of what had come before and kind of brought you up to speed a little bit. So all those people or all those entities that didn't get to experience all of the things you did, whether it was fighting Archimonde or battling the Burning Legion, get to see it or at least a representation of it and get to know the story. So they have mechanisms in game, in universe that they could do to sort of preserve the story and not feel like you're sacrificing the story. If you move forward with a uh, different character, um, at least that's my opinions on it. Matt, do you have an opinion on it? 
I was thinking about in terms of like narratives and how narratives unfold and how how we are used to processing them and how we can do that in games versus other media. A lot of games use what I like to call the epistolatory format for storytelling. And WoW does this to a degree too. If you find books and other like ancient writings and so forth, and they have little bits of story on them, and that's how you gain perspective on the lore and the backstory of the world, that's an epistolatory approach. WoW has relied on that over the years, as have lots of other games. It's not, this isn't me picking on Blizzard. It, it's a tried and true formula. It is Bethesda's entire bread and butter. Um, and we get a lot of it in Baldur's Gate 3, for that matter. I mean, for, for all that there's a lot of stuff that isn't epistolatory, there's a lot of books. <laughs> a lot of books. I'm, I, my Baldur's Gate character was literally carrying around like half a ton of the freaking things. Yep. Um, Right-click, send to camp is my favorite thing. Yeah. So I feel like to a certain degree, leaning on the epistolatory approach and allowing lore to be something people can pick up if they want it, but are not required to, is is a pretty good way to get around a lot of these problems. Um, we worry so much that you know that we're like people aren't going to get to play this when the way it was originally intended to be played, but that that boat hit an iceberg in the North Atlantic a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're we're not. Wow has got decades of story in it literally and itself it, wow itself not just the stuff that came beforehand yeah just, just the game. itself just you know from 2004 when the first time someone logged into world of warcraft till now in 2023 19 years later um almost 19 years to the day because next month is november and that's the 19th anniversary of world of warcraft that story is it's there but the thing is is if you constantly stand around worrying that player's you know, you don't want to trivialize the older story. It's like the, the, it's not trivialized. It just can't always be up front. You know, eventually you got to move on. You got to move to the next chapter, the next thing. And new players are, you know, we can't make a game where new players are as free to explore the early stuff as we were because this is an MMO, not a single player game. Uh, in an MMO, it, it's the massively multiplayer aspect of it means that there's got to be a certain baseline of entry so that somebody who comes to the game new can, can start playing with other people immediately and not have to wait until they've gone through every previous expansion so that they, you know, they're caught up with people who might have been playing for like at this point, 19 years. I, I don't short of a time machine. There's really no way to, to do that. You know, you, you can't send someone back to 2004 and say, okay, you can play with the other characters once you've, you know, successfully completed all these previous expansions. So guess every time you've, you're done with the game, get in the time machine and jump forward to the next expansion comes out, play that, then you get in the time machine again. It just, it isn't, it's not viable because we don't have time machines. I, I, I don't worry that much about it, in other words, because it is an inherent property of how this game tells story. And there's really not a way around it. Uh, so I don't worry about it to that degree. I think that the if you're worried about it, the thing to do is to rely even more heavily on the epistolatory approach. Put more stuff in the world that you can go out and find that will help you if you want to do that. And I think stuff like the, uh, I want to say Brotherhood of the Horse, but that is absolutely not who we were just talking about. Um, <laughs> the Time Walkers. Things like the Time Walkers or the Lore Walkers. Um, those things are another, they're basically taking the epistolatory approach and making it thespian yeah. rather than it's, it's no longer just you go and read the book. Now it is the book is put on for you. It, it's sort of like we've now made it drama. 
and I think that's a nice way to do it. Like the, the thing we saw in Ardenweald with the, the, which Joe had already mentioned, all these approaches, you could have it where you go. And if you really want to see like, what was the war of the ancients? Like you could go and literally get to see it. And maybe there's even quests you could do in it if you wanted to, but they don't have to be like, it, it doesn't have to be anything anyone pursues. People don't have to know all this because all this is a lot. They can learn it if they want to. It's there for them. Um, Baldur's Gate 3 is a really good job of not telling you stuff that you don't have any reason to be told. Yeah. Like, I, you don't get a 25-minute dissertation on why Tyr and Torm aren't the same guy. It's just, that's not part of the story, you know? It, it gives you enough that you can follow the story it's telling, and it's in the coherent world of the Forgotten Realms, but trust me, there is a lot of Forgotten Realms. If they wanted to, oh my, oh my word, you you would n- you'd never actually get es- to do anything. Especially now, because all the old settings have just been folded into the Forgotten Forgotten Realms, which that's a topic for a different podcast. Yes, but I think that's going to do it for us today. Unless there's anything else you want to add, Matt. No, I think that's good. All right, well, folks, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions of Patreon.com/slash/BlizzardWatch. Your continued support means this podcast signing community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast. Better chance of having your question answered on our podcast with a queue and an ads-free site experience. Uh, if you have questions for this or any of our podcasts, be sure to send those into podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Specify what show it's for and if you have any special pronunciation for your name. Uh, you can also hit us up on Discord and our queue and podcast questions channel. And if you are a Patreon subscriber, as a way of saying thank you for helping us keep the lights on, you can hit us up on our Patreon queue and podcast questions channel on Discord, where we tend to look first. Again, all other rules apply. Well, that, folks, we'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.